So hello and welcome to It's Not All About The Numbers, the leadership podcast that doesn't just focus on the bottom line. Hi, my name is Chris and that is Mike. Hi everyone. And this week we have our co-host, Chelsea Shelley, Head of Member Engagement from the ACCA and former COO of the British Association of Counselling and Psychotherapy. Welcome, Chelsea. Hi, Mike. Thank you very much for having me today. No worries. So how we normally kick things off is getting into the week. But first of all, if you do like what you hear, if you are interested in um, subscribing, we do release an episode every Tuesday morning. So it will drop straight into your feed um, if you press subscribe. And also, it's always good to get those five star comments. We've seen them ticking up. So thanks for everybody who's starting to do that. Uh, it really helps us. And uh, in this modern world, it helps the algorithms as well. So c- click on the subscribe buttons and the five star buttons. So how was everybody's week? Mike, uh, I saw some pictures of you crossing the country this morning. Yeah. So this week's been a, been an away day week. So uh, earlier on, uh, earlier on in the week, I was up in London. I also went on a planning away day with the department for leveling up. Um, and I got to use my everyone is a data person shtick with somebody who said, I'm not a data person. So I enjoyed that very much. Um, um, and my kind of non-work thing to mention today is I'm very excited about Depeche Mode on Monday um, at the O2. That is my thing I'm looking forward to. I can almost forget everything that's happened this week. Looking forward to that. Sounds good. Man after my own heart. I've got some tickets in there as well. <clears throat> Chelsea, how about yourself? I've had um, a really varied week, actually, um, not long into this role at ACCA, about eight months in. Um, and I actually started Monday evening with an event in the Houses of Parliament, which was hugely exciting for me because I've never been to the Houses of Parliament before. Um, so it was quite nice to, to go on the inside. ACCA had an event there with the Enterprise Forum. Um, so that was a, an interesting start to the week. Um, and then we've done some various things this week around um, work for our members, planning some of our new member ceremonies that are coming up throughout February, um, doing some training. And I suppose my my non-work related moment of pride this week was my son being chosen for the school basketball team. And uh, wow. being a typical English school, basketball is not really a sport that they get involved in, um, but he is tall. So I have the feeling that was his sort of only defining characteristic for being picked for the team. But I haven't said that to him we'll, we'll see how it goes on so yeah a, a good week so far that, that is called playing to your strengths there's absolutely nothing wrong with that um sounds great sounds great and some good stuff in there i uh my week like mike i got my depeche mode tickets uh we're not going to go into uh you know 80s and 90s dance music but uh very excited about that i actually had a, a family moment as well my uh, nine-year-old daughter was singing at the o2 um before Depeche Mode um it's the Young Voices Choir I don't know whether everybody's heard about this it's amazing yeah, yeah it's like 20,000 people there and 9,000 kids oh my eardrums but it was it was brilliant uh it's a really good evening I uh, really enjoyed that uh on the work front though yeah you know we had our, our away day um so kicking off this quarter had some great strategic kick- kickoffs with our um partners and uh, I've been doing a little bit of planning for some non-exec director roles that I do um, for London and Leicester, actually. I, I don't think I've ever been to Leicester. So uh... Leicester's up my way, Chris. So I'm in Lutterworth, which is a, a little town in, in Leicestershire. So, um, yeah, it's a very to... nice part of the world. 
I'll have to pop in. I, I think You're very I'm, welcome for a cup of tea. So last week we kind of touched on the post office scandal. Uh, we could not not do it because it was tech related. It was uh, massive news. Um, and we're going to have a, a little chat, a little follow on um, about this. Now, I think we mentioned last week that a lot of people had spoken about it. Um, Mike said not enough people had spoken about it, but I commented that Fujitsu actually hadn't said an awful lot. But since then, Fujitsu have ruled themselves out of any kind of UK public contract bids um, while this inquiry is going on, which I think is the right thing to do. You should have done that um, straight away, I think. But I think one one of the things that I've noticed um, in the news about Fujitsu is just how they responded to people during that testing process or rather how they didn't respond to people during that testing process. Effectively, there were a bunch of users of a data software system that was being created that were feeding back that it wasn't working as expected. So you would imagine that the developer of such system would, would take some action and investigate into it. However, I was uh, literally just before we were recording this, I was listening to a podcast um, of James O'Brien interviewing Nick Wallace, who was the journalist who has been running the story on the BBC for the last God, decade. Um, and one of the things that he said, which was really interesting and pertinent to this, is that Fujitsu got paid on delivery. So they weren't getting paid for the development of the system themselves. So actually, they were perversely incentivized to gloss over the fact there were problems within the system because they weren't getting any money. And it was at the time their only contract or, or very like a massive contract. So I think you're right in the expectation that you set, which is that user feedback should be acted on. But I think that there are other factors other than negligence that, that kind of cause that situation. Yes, I saw you nodding there. Have you, have you been involved in any system rollouts that uh, haven't gone quite how you expected? Uh, yeah, well, I, I think that happens with system rollouts, doesn't it? You have a plan and they don't always go to plan. And um, I certainly I led on the digital transformation in in our last role, which ended well. You know, it certainly wasn't post office scandal level disaster, but, you know, it wasn't, wasn't quite on time, wasn't um, quite what we expected um, and I think the important thing when you do these things is you know you're building that contingency you're building that time to learn and and I think you're building that time to listen to the feedback as well and I think you know when looking at the post office scandal one of the things that that struck me was if they'd had sort of more open um, whistleblowing policies if people were were speaking out about that more regularly and more widely, I think it would have been exposed a lot sooner. I think it was this sort of level of secrecy and fear surrounding each of the individual cases that kept them all individual. So I think, you know, openness really, really is key when you're when you're embarking on something like that. Mike, what's the sort of learning point for us here? Because, you know, look, we're not in the post office. Many of us are never going to be in something this fragmented at this scale but what's the learning point that's probably the hardest question you've asked me uh, on, on the podcast because <laughs> well i thought we, you were going to say think... just you know better user testing or something but what, what, or list of more collaboration post you know delivery but well so i but i so yes all of that but in this particular case i think that what it is is showing us some systematic problems across across the board right and I think that actually there is no one takeaway, one big takeaway. You know, the, the corporate, um, as Chelsea was saying, the, the corporate separation of the issues. So people weren't coming together. So you didn't see the size and scale of the problem straight off. 
you know, that's something to learn from. And that whole whistleblowing thing is absolutely part of it. But then the contracts, as I just mentioned, how big co- contracts are set up based on delivery, which means there's no iteration. There's that. Yeah. We've got the the whole state infrastructure uh, around um, people not being listened to and the post office being a reputable organisation versus these criminal postmasters as they were as they were seen. Uh, you know, there's just so much to take from it. It's but sort of summarising it into something that we talk about often it got to the point where the people side of this was being ignored. And and it, it, the, we talked a bit, little bit last week about the, 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 the computer software was always right, but actually why aren't the people always right? You know, innocent, yeah. innocent until actually proven guilty. And a lot of this guilt was inferred. So there's, there's, there's something about the human side. Sorry if that was a bit of a ramble. No, that was I good. Agree with you completely, was, Mike. I think well. it's really easy on a surface level to see it as a tech problem. Of course, there the were tech problems, but it, it, it was systemic. It was, it was deeper than that. You know, you can resolve tech problems if you've got a culture that that is open to looking at them and, and learning from them. If you've got a culture that that's very closed off, then you hide tech problems and you bury them, and and that's how you see this issue escalate. So, no, I agree that it, it's the tech and it's the people um, are, are both areas to learn from in that case. Yeah, I that you know it was essentially an accounting system, and I still scratch my head as to how it could go wrong because you know accounting systems are highly structured. Um, but uh, that is a whole other story, uh, right there. I, I, it's just worth mentioning as well. Mike isn't in his doomsday bunker. You might be able to hear that he's uh, got a slightly different mic today. Um, where where are you in the world? So, so I'm en route, and referring to the pictures you saw earlier, I'm en route to um, UK GovCamp tomorrow, which is um, a big, I think it's 500-odd people that have got interest in public sector um, and, and it being successful in digital data being successful. Um, so I'm literally sitting in a hotel lobby in London en route to the evening meetup prior to that. So I can, hear background, yes. I can hear background, background music, hopefully you can't hear it. So... Moving on, and, you know, Chelsea, we just touched a little bit there on, you know, Fujitsu being an accounting system. Um, You know, you're currently within uh, an accounting institution, and before then you were in the another institution, the sort of counselling and, and psychotherapy. You know, what's, what's your sort of take in terms of how you engage audiences in the right way? Because your role right now is about how you engage. Yeah, so for, for me, it's about really understanding how members want you to engage with them and meeting members where they are. You know, ACCA has got 90,000 members, more than 90,000 members in the UK. Um, and not every single one of those is going to be knocking on your door, requesting that high level of, of one-to-one engagement, which is probably a good thing because 90,000 knocks on the door is quite a lot to deal with. So it's about understanding that that audience and, and where are they and who are those people in that community who are saying, we want to work more with you, we want to hear more from you, we want that closer relationship. Who are those in that audience that are saying, you know, what we're really busy with our day jobs, but we value the information you're sending out. So, so send it to us and we'll read it, we'll engage with it and we'll comment if we want to. And who are much more at the laid back end of the scale saying, you know, we, we know you're there if you need us, but we're probably just going to carry on. So um, as is always the case in these kind of organisations, data's key. Um, you need to know who your members are, where they are, how they how they're engaging with you already and you yeah. know 
I think if if you're engaging with any one of those groups when they really want to be, you know, engaged with on the next level, that's when you have your problems. That's when people say, you're not actually doing enough for me. Because what's enough for a member differs from member to member. So it's about really yep. making the best use of our data and, and figuring out those relationships. It's, it sounds tricky. It sounds like a sort of, a, in part, a data exercise, in part, a, a marketing exercise. I think it's both and I don't think I've solved it yet certainly not in the last eight months at ACCA I think um, our member engagement team do some brilliant work and actually the accountancy community I've found to be highly engaged and really want to get involved and whenever we've had an event or needed members to respond to a survey or whatever we've always had really good participation so it's a great community for me to come into and be a part of but definitely got some more figuring out to do as to how we reach those that are maybe sitting on the periphery thinking okay this sounds like something I could get involved with but I'm not sure how or or when and and what I need to do next I've got I've got a little question which is almost like my me putting back my I'm not an accountant hat on which is can you just explain what the ACCA is as a a group and who it's for because I, I think we've got we've kind of touched on it but but not explained it for people that don't know. Of course. So we're the Association for Chartered Certified Accountants, a global professional body representing certified chartered accountants. I focus on the UK aspect of that, but we have um, presence in over 180 countries around the world, um, central offices all around the world. So it it really is an an inclusive global organisation. And I think what I have loved about coming to the ACCA is – that theme of inclusivity in that it's not necessarily a traditional university route into accountancy. Actually, we're looking at apprenticeships and and wider entry into the profession. And I've met some really inspirational members who have maybe come from difficult backgrounds, didn't complete their school qualifications, come to accountancy much later and and made a real success of what they do in the profession. And I think those stories are hugely inspirational and it makes me feel really proud to be part of an organisation that is so inclusive in its approach to finding talent out there and providing pathways for anyone to become qualified. Really interesting. That's, that's, that inclusivity is really interesting to me. And and what you say about the diversity of the organisation touching across the different countries. Is there anything structural about how the ACCA works that embraces that diversity you've just mentioned? The the way we're structured, you know, I'm part of the UK team, but we have really close collaboration right across the globe. You know, I can talk to my counterpart in, in other parts of the world so we can really start to understand what are our shared challenges? What are our unique challenges? You know, if I'm struggling to solve this problem, how has it worked in, in other places? But yeah, I think, like you say, it's, it's that diversity of the profession that ACCA represents. And diversity is so important, isn't it? If you have a, a diverse membership, you've got diversity of thought, diversity of ideas. And, you know, that's when you start to see really innovative things happen. You know, as, as someone from within the UK and having that responsibility and then talking to other regions, are there regional differences that you have to consider? I suppose, and I suppose that's something that I'm still kind of getting to grips with. Certainly, there'll be um, different cultural approaches around the world. There might be different regulations here and there. Um, I'm not an accountant, um, but I do hear that. Congratulations. Um, we- <laughs> When it comes to issues around tax, the UK is quite um, specific in some of its rules. So, yeah, of course, there's differences. Um, but I think we can also focus on actually where, where, where are we alike and, and how can we solve problems together? 
And how did you sort of end up where you are? Because, you know, it sounds like you've been on quite an interesting journey. You know, what's <laughs> is there a common well, thread? In yeah, your I, I worked for British Association of Counseling Psychiatry for 18 years. So I'm going to always be a big advocate for therapy and safe and ethical therapy. Absolutely. And I think um, I think most people can benefit from from therapy at some point in their careers. You don't have to be going through a crisis to go and seek it out. Sometimes it's, it's just good to go and you know, you get to that point in life, I think actually I, I need to talk through some things. So great. And I think accountancy can be hugely stressful. If we've got members working, um, sole practitioners, SMPs, it can feel quite isolating. Um, so I think it's really important that accountants are taking care of their their mental health in the same way that you take care of your, your physical health, your business health. It's it's all part of the puzzle, isn't it? Is is that why you do what what you do? Is there sort of like uh, an underlying sort of value there that you want to support people in their professions. Yeah, I I love membership. I I this is going to make me sound like I'm a geek for membership, but I am. I sort of stumbled into it. You know, left school. I don't know what I'm going to do. British Association of Counseling Psychiatry. We happen to be based in my hometown, so kind of knocked on the door and got an admin job, and then just discovered this world of professions I didn't know existed. And trust me when I say there is a professional body for everything out there. Um, <laughs> Worked at BACP for a long time, um, really enjoyed that, and then had the opportunity to come over to ACCA. And accountants, completely different profession to counsellors and psychotherapists, but actually a lot of similarities in terms of that lobbying work that we do for the government to put certain things on the, the government agenda, the CPD and learning opportunities that members want, and that sense of community that, you know, whether you're a counsellor or an accountant, you could actually I see a lot of similarities in the accountancy community in that, you know, in, in therapy communities, you will have people working in, in private sector, within the NHS, within public sector, within corporates. Accountants are in all of those same spaces. So in that way, it really makes sense in my mind at the ACCA where you're like, ah, yes, these are all the sectors that we're, that we're working in. And these are the same kind of issues coming through in, in all of those sectors. So, yeah, it's yeah. it's more similar than I would have imagined when I was an outsider to it. So there's lots that it's great in what you've just said. There's two things that popped into my head, which is there's a there's a, a, a body for everybody. And I remember working with the British Potato Council when I was back in DEFRA. So that's one of my favourites. That's definitely true. But the other thing that went through my head is and, and kind of linking what you were talking about there around therapy, but also to the work that you do, Chris, with Gen CFO around community. I think that there's there's, there's kind of like formal therapy, which people see as you know really consciously dealing with mental health issues. But then there's much more informal stuff that um, like mentoring and coaching and peer networking and stuff like that. And I think I'm really interested in what your thoughts are about the kind of relationship between the two, the formal and the informal. Yeah, well, I think the the informal networks that we form can be amazing for our mental health, can't they? And sometimes, you know, that's picking up the phone to a friend and going, this is what's just happened today. Or you come into a space like the Gen CFO events where you've got people who work in a similar area to you. They understand your problems and you you communicate with, with those and you, you solve the problems together. Or sometimes it's just reassuring when someone else says, I know exactly what you mean. This happened to me. So I think they're really helpful. The difference with formal therapy, obviously, it, it's more structured. It's focused on you. And and one of the big things that, that therapists will say is they're not there to give advice. They're there to sort of help you look within yourself and find those answers and, and figure out those solutions. Whereas maybe when you have your informal communities, 
um, people are probably a lot more willing to to give some advice. Whether you take it or not is up to you, but you, you might get um, some very clear cut answers. Whereas I think therapy takes a bit more time sometimes. Yeah, I, I, you know, thanks, thanks for the plug. By the way, I, I couldn't agree more. I think people come to our kind of peer learning events for for one of three reasons, and it depends where they are in their day, in their week, in their year. One is is, is to learn. You know that we do talk about something specific the second thing is that the network itself so obviously the more senior you get you you rely on your network you rely on people that you know a lot more but but third and maybe the top of everyone's list depending on where they're at is is that informal therapy you know people can't always talk about work to their bosses but you know ironically and they don't always feel comfortable with that. I think that actually came out with the, some of the mental health research post-pandemic that, you know, line managers were actually being skipped out of that conversation when there was mental health concerns. They can't always talk to their family and their friends because that's all biased. And, you know, they're going to tell them, well, I told you so, and you should have done that. So there's some kind of, you know, there's there's an, a bias there. <clears throat> Whereas talking to peers and and peer learning and peer support it's it's not therapy, but it's just a tonic sometimes, a bit of mutual understanding, you know, a bit of like-mindedness that kind of goes, yeah, you know what, I'm not in, in this by myself. Thank you. Yeah, and I think that's reassuring to hear, isn't it? You know, mental health, we all have mental health and we'll all go through peaks and troughs with that. And at ACCA, we run the Talking Wellbeing series because we absolutely recognise this is something in, in accountants that we they want to come together and you know, it might be formal therapy, it might be, you know, I'm doing a thing this year of trying to have a 1000 hours outside, um, which is about three hours a day, I think, so far, I've managed to get 10 hours total for the year. So I'm, I'm hoping for a good summer to make that up. But it's just that sort of appreciation for, for what makes you feel good, what helps your mental health. So for me, it's going outside, some people go for a walk, people take up various hobbies some people's work really helps with their mental health and and doing a good job and other people need that time away from work so yeah I think there's definitely this huge space of informal peer support looking at your mental well-being um, and you know just figuring out you know when do you know that you're feeling slightly run down when do you need to take time out what what are your key cues to say I need to I need to do something different at the minute just what was going through my head as you were talking there were well, two things were going through my head one one is i can see why it's only 10 hours at the moment because it is so cold outside um, but, but the other one sort of linking back to our conversation around post office and fujitsu a little bit and the and the, the uh, interview i was listening to a bit earlier which is this has been taught has been being talked about as a financial issue in the post office and it's been talked about as a tech issue but what what's been really under recognized is the mental health consequences on the sub postmasters their families the implications of that and actually how much that's been stored up you know who did they have to talk to you know it, it, i i think what you've just said there really links back to that story and some of the tragic consequences of that story we haven't even heard about yet yeah catastrophic consequences there and i'm sure there'll be more stories to, to come out from that which is just you know awful and it does go back to maybe that not understanding that that was a shared experience happening across many different post offices but each yeah. one believing that this was their problem um, and they had to somehow find these shortfalls and, and things like that so um again and another reason why, why it's really good to share 
So that this this is a, a, a leadership podcast, and, and I think there's something to take out of the conversation that we just had there around, you know, Chelsea, what what can leaders do to kind of create a safer environment? Is, is there, you know, do, is there something that they can do? Is there a practice that they can um, approach to this that they can take, you know, leaning on almost all of that engagement, member engagement, you know, experience as well? Yeah, I, th- I think absolutely. And um, the, a term I actually came across this week, um, I think it was coined by Amy Edmondson, professor at Harvard, was this kind of sense of psychological safety. You know, if you Google her, she's got a TED talk that explains it much better than I will. But it, it's about if you've got an environment where people feel safe to speak out, share ideas, um, you know, you have this high accountability. But if you have high accountability and, and low feeling of safety, you're just creating anxiety because you've just got a leader that's saying, have you done this? Why haven't you done this? I need this by this time. And if people don't feel safe in that, right, that's just, of course, it's going to make people anxious. Um, equally, if, if there's no accountability and no safety, then that just leads to apathy of, ah, ah, well, never mind, whatever. So she talks about this ideal zone where you've got really high psychological safety, where people will speak out, where they'll share their ideas, where they'll admit their mistakes um, and if you have that high safety and that high accountability, you has what you call the learning zone. And that's when people are coming together and saying, this is what went well this week. This is not, this, you know, this went not so well. What can we learn? How can we do better? What do we need to change? Um, and it was just fascinating. She gave a great example of hospitals with high psychological safety actually reported more mistakes people going hang on why would you have more mistakes if it felt so safe and it was just simply because people weren't fearful about sharing those mistakes so actually long term the outcomes are better so I'm this you know it really struck me this week and you know it it made perfect sense in terms of my style that I want to create a space where people feel they can speak out they can share their ideas you know if something's critical or negative that they're not you know I'm not shutting myself off going I don't want to hear this criticism actually going We've all got a voice. Let's hear what everyone's got to say. What do we need to learn from it? Because I think that's when exciting things start happening in organisations. It's where change and innovation happens. And that's that's what we want. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's a, it's a great um, observation there. And you're right. It's it's Amy Edmondson and she's wrote a book about creating psychological safety. And, and it's a really interesting point that you make there is that when you start going on this journey, it may actually get worse publicly before it gets better but that is probably just down to the fact that you're being more transparent than you were before, right? It's not It's not that things are actually getting worse. It's just the having the conversation. Um, you, you know what's going on and, and surely yeah. that's what you want. And, and you know, that's the approach I, I take with the membership as well. If I was going out to members and everyone was going, everything you do is perfect, don't change a thing, it, it's all great. And I'm going to be thinking, oh, okay, job done. Actually, (laughs) I've had members come to me and go, this is really great, but you could do more of this. Or have you thought about this? Or I'd like to see this. So it's it's that sharing. And I've found ACCA members have got no issue sharing their comments and feedback. So that's really good. But it's sharing that that gives me those areas. I think, okay, let's let's take away. Let's look at that. Let's see how we can improve on that. So, yeah, that that openness and that safety to be open is, is beneficial with my team and with members. I think it's also important to acknowledge that everybody has a blind spot as well. You know, you, everyone thinks they've got this 360 vision of where they are. But actually, if you acknowledge that you do have a blind spot, then you should welcome feedback more than ever because, you know, they're, they're filling in on 
on what you need to be developing, maybe a weakness that you need to work on. So there's a bit of humility, I think, in that leadership approach as well. I think there's a bit, so building on that, I think that one of the things that strikes me when we talk about leadership now and, and the transformation that we're seeing is that quite often senior leaders or leaders are managing portfolio teams that have got, so they've got lots of different expertise in their, in their teams. So their blind spots might be because they're not expert in a particular thing. So actually, it, it, it's about leaders being as vulnerable, allow, being vulnerable themselves and actually state, you know, admitting where they don't know the answers, which is a real shift from, you know, management in days of yore where it was like the boss knows all the answers. And I think that that, that, that shift is part, you know, it, the boss has to have psychological safety as well as the team members. And I think that it, it's a really healthy relationship when that happens. The best teams I've worked in is where that psychological safety exists for everybody including the leaders yeah i think that's key mike and something i really appreciate actually having come into acca eight months ago to a team that were brilliant at what they did knew everything all about candidacy and the members so i've had to come in and go i don't know this i'm I'm not sure how to use this system or or who's that over there and 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 feel vulnerable and be able to go i I don't know the answers but let's work together on on trying to get there so it's about being like you say i think you used the word being vulnerable i think that's important self-reflection um you know not beating yourself up at things but kind of going back and going oh, okay did i handle that in the best way would i do it differently next time um i think they're they're, they're good skills to, to develop as a leader i'm sure everyone will be googling amy ebenson which is great um don't, don't google me because you'll end up uh finding out that i'm actually a dead vampire apparently uh, if you google chris Sargent, uh incidentally do you know do you know what you uh, find if you google chelsea acca i've never done that I've, i found out this morning uh, you find a lot of information about how to bet on football uh which <laughs> I, I, th- I think there's a, a some there's a phrase my out advice there. would be don't bet on chelsea right now so uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's as far as my my knowledge on that goes uh, so at this stage, we normally uh, move on to questions. So if you are uh, asking or looking for us to answer a question or ask a question to the uh, to Mike or myself or our co-host, then send your emails to podcast at generationcfo.com or reach out to Mike and myself uh, on LinkedIn. And we're very happy to uh, answer these. And we have actually our inbox is starting to tick over and not just spam, which is great. Um, so we had a question this week, um, from Chris C, um, and it was very simply, what is agile and is it different to agility? And Chris has actually been on one of our masterminds where we talk about agility. Um, Mike, do you want to have a stab at that? Thanks. (laughs) Um, so so I I think, I mean, for me, actually, it's reasonably straightforward. So agile is a project management approach that's used in software um which largely is built on iteration um so you know build something test it if it works great if it doesn't work can it and start start and build something else and try that um which is a very gross simplification of what is actually in a similar ways to some of the other project management techniques you'll see can be quite a complicated um sort of set of structures that get put in place how i see that which is fine. And, and that's not a problem, right? Having good project man- management structures is fine. Um, how I see agility, for me, that's 
like adaptability and it is that kind of iterative and thoughtful approach but not in such a structured way it's actually having that kind of adaptability to things that are going on touching back on what we were talking about before really it's being open and receptive to feedback and changing how you do things in respect to that feedback i'm also conscious that you you've got a definition chris so what's what's your definition and how is it different to what i've just said i'll I'll try and keep it simple um so yeah agile is a is a project management methodology and it, it is used heavily in software development but it could be used anywhere and uh, the difference between that and say another project management methodology is is agility so which is why it's called agile and what it means is that your requirements can evolve and change all the time rather than them being fixed agility the definition that that um mike's referring to is part of the gen cfo troika which is the, the triple a of agility automation and analytics and that agility is about our ability to respond to business change as a finance team as an accountant as a cfo um so it's all it's all about you know the crossover is change and and making things happen um making sure you're focused on the right outcomes um, but they are two very different things I think there's a there's a lot of crossover, Chris. I'm I'm actually a big fan of the agile project management, and that's because sort of my interpretation of it. And I I worked with with agile when I did the the DT work at BACP. Was actually if you if you at the beginning of a project set this very fixed end goal, and that's all you focus on. When things change throughout that project, or when the external environment changes. Um, if you haven't got an agile approach, you might not change that. You know, you're so fixated on setting out what you first achieved to do and you're not actually responsive to the changes in the environment or the things that you're learning as you're going along. So I, I love agile for that reason, because, you know, like Mike said, it's about you test something, you see what works, you can change things. And it gives you that option of, well, as you might start to adjust the end goal slightly and and, and tweak that. So I, I like agile, but I think um to adapt to that approach, you need agility. You need sort of that that agile mindset as well as to, I, I'm not going to be so single-minded and focused. I'm going to be open. I'm going to be responsive. So um, I, I can see the crossover between the agile project management, but I think you need that agility to be able to work in that way. Sorry, sorry Chris, I was Go just going to say back to the post office again and the, the discussion that's run through this. Maybe the thing that was lacking was that. In, in some respects was that ability to be able to adapt because to your point there Chelsea you know they had an end goal the end goal Fujitsu was getting paid um so yeah. they, they weren't willing to take the time to adapt and iterate necessarily because they had to hit that end goal so I just it, it's a, it actually kind of captures some of the conversation we've already had quite neatly that yeah absolutely what what it's worth saying though agile, agile approach does not mean i can do whatever the f i want <laughs> and i don't need to produce any documentation and you know uh let's just go for it guys it's not that you know agile is a structured approach it's just has more agility built within it um and it used to annoy me when people sort of say oh can we do agile because i don't want to do all this documentation there's a so lot no. of documentation still <laughs> and you'll have your sprints and your sprint planning and then your learning and, and all of that yeah so you, you can't you can never cut down on all the documentation can you it wouldn't be project management exactly heard it here first sounds great um and t- tell me just a little bit more about the transformation at um your previous role because 
like you were actually the COO there, so you were leading a, a project there, were you? Yes, I mean, it's a, a smaller professional body, 65,000 members and, you know, membership and marketing's like where my heart is, that's my background. But, you know, when you've been somewhere for a long time, you sort of take on other aspects. So um, one of the biggest things I ever saw there was a, a digital transformation project, just replacing a legacy, legacy database with something much more modern, something that um, would fit with our email systems, our web systems, or the integration. Describe as one of the most stressful times of my life. Uh, and the most stressful day of my life was that moment with him, right, we're, we're going to press the off button on the old system and we're going to turn the new one on. And you just think, oh gosh, please let this work now. Um, and, and, you know, I describe it as a bumpy landing, um, but but we got there. But it was definitely a case of test, test, test and, and more testing until you feel just about as certain as you can be that it's going to work. And it was just pre-COVID and, you know, you get a lot of stuff going, oh, but we like the old system. We're, we're used to it. We don't like change. And, you know, you're trying to bring people with you on that journey as to why it's a good thing. And I think if there were any doubters, once once the pandemic hit, all doubts were erased because we actually had a system that enabled us to work remotely, which the old one never would have allowed for. So I think at that point, everyone was like, oh, OK, great. It, it was worth it. It works. And we probably got it done just in time. Amazing. Well, congratulations. And I can certainly uh, sympathise, empathise with the uh, stressful delivery. Um, I think Mike and I have lived those, got the scars. Uh, I I rely on these things, which it's not great from a podcast point of view, but lots of stress balls. (laughs) I've got, um, I literally replace my stress balls, I think, every couple of weeks. Uh, You can ask the team. Uh, Good stuff. Well, Hopefully that's question answered. So, um, Chris, thank you for your email. And as I said, um, send it into podcast at generationcfo.com who produced this uh, podcast. So, Mike, good and bad data just to wrap things up. I've got a theme on my one this week, which is football. So we talked about Chelsea a bit earlier. Not the person, the football club. Football Um, theme follows me around. I can't think why. I I, I can imagine. um, yeah, I can imagine. Um, so my team's Aston Villa. And it always... Mine too, Mike. Oh, well, there we go. Well, um, and, best friends and, now. <laughs> and, and now is a season where it We're is... very happy people, aren't we? So that the good data is looking at the football table, uh, Premier League table and going, actually, that's quite quite a good place to be. So that, that's my, my good data is just the Premier League table today. I'm going to share that with you. And I do like those data splits as well that are completely irrelevant, but where you get the um, calendar league table, because I think a few of those actually put Villa right at the very top. So that's always an interesting interpretation of the data as well. So I've also got a sporting one. Um, I know nothing about football and I know nothing about um, uh, baseball either. But this guy um, has used a pretty cool way of mapping out his superstardom. Um, I don't know whether you are aware of Major League Basketball in the US, but there's a guy called uh, Shohei Hotani. Um, <laughs> no, no one's, everyone's not shaking their heads, by the way. Um, and he basically he used this visualization technique, which is pretty cool. It's called the Harada method where you basically have a square box of 64 boxes. It looks a bit like a sort of Sudoku puzzle. Um, and you you start in the middle with your goal. 
and you kind of map out your strengths and your your you breaking down your goals. I'm sure that your old counselors would would love this uh, sort of stuff, Chelsea. But he he broke it down into almost like a sort of KPIs, measures, metrics, um, visualization of all the things he needed to do to hit that middle goal, um, which was to get drafted to one of the first to be one of the first to be drafted uh, from Japan to top eight teams in in baseball. And he did it. And he's kind of come out to say that this is the way that I did it um, using this method. And I, d- I do believe in using some of these visualization techniques. Um, yeah, I've I've used something in the past, how to sort of map out your, your perfect hobby is what they do in Japan. But actually, the, a lot of Western consultants have used it to map out your perfect job. It's called the Ikigai, and it's about what you can get paid for, what you can, what you love, what um, other people. I think need. I've seen that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and it yeah. kind of tells you, if, yeah, if this is if this is what's important to you, then go and do this. Exactly, which was behind the decision to do Gen CFO. So uh, it, it worked. It worked not as successfully as our uh, Shiho Hotani here, who's probably a multi-millionaire playing baseball somewhere. But um, but yeah, I I, I loved it. Right, so that was the good data. Bad data. Got a cryptic my, my, note here. XG. Yeah, mine's again more football. It's it's the the use of expected goals as a thing to talk about around football. So not talking about actual goals and therefore scores and who's won and lost, but talking about how likely a team is to score. And the reason it's bad data is I don't really understand how it's calculated, and I don't really understand the point. You know, it doesn't really matter whether you're expected to score goals if you don't. So, yeah, it, that's it. As simple as that. Well, so pundits are saying, well, they should have scored two goals, but they only scored that, one. I'd go even further, Chris. It especially infuriates me because you get this thing of they were expected to score three point five goals, and I'm sitting there thinking, how how were they expected to score half a goal exactly? So it it baffles me. And I'm the same, Mike. I got no idea how they calculate that or or why. <laughs> It's rubbish. It's rubbish data. It's rubbish KPI. It's It's just media driving things again. Bad data. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And um, my bad data, Arantxa Sanchez, who, who, again, another sporting one this week. This wasn't planned. um, Who has avoided going to prison um, for, she was sentenced to two years for avoiding um, declaring some of her assets to repay a multi-million pound loan to the Bank of Luxembourg. Uh, sadly, her husband has also, well, fortunately, her husband has gone to prison. Uh, she managed to avoid it. But it was it was just staggering to sort of see somebody who's so high, pro- high profile, who's won Wimbledon twice, you know, who's been around the world um, in the 90s, very much part of what I remember about tennis, ending up like this. So, uh, yeah, not, not great data. So... Just wrapping things up. So um, I've got a shout out this week um, to Adam Shilton, who uh, doesn't know this is happening, but he runs the Tech for Finance podcast. And I suggest a listen, actually. He's um, bringing up some really quite technical subjects, um, much more kind of into the technical detail, the technology side of things than our general leadership transformation chat. Um, and I just wanted to give him a shout out because he's done a great uh, job with his podcast. He and I actually appeared on an influencers list this week on LinkedIn, which uh, which isn't a life goal, I have to say. But it is nice to get a little bit of recognition. And uh, it was great to see Adam there 
who has been running his podcast, I think only for about a year, um, but he's really um, managed to grow that and build a, a huge reputation. Um, so well done to Adam. So Mike, any closing uh, thoughts before we wrap this one up? I'm, I'm, this is going to be in the edit, I'm sure, because I'm struggling with closing thoughts today. <laughs> Sorry. Is it because you're surrounded by uh, people dancing at your band camp? It's, uh, no, it's it's. I've been sat in this hotel now for nearly two hours, and I think the, the lady, the lady that's behind the bar, is being a bit suspicious because I've only bought one coffee in two hours. <laughs> so feeling oh, under pressure. <laughs> you're that guy. You're that I'm guy. That, I'm that guy. <laughs> Lovely. Well, we've said it all. Um, Chelsea, thanks very much for your insights today. It was great to hear. Good luck with all that, and thank you very much for being part of today. No, thank you. I think I said to you when you asked this. It sounds terrifying. I'll do it. So I'm, I think my message to anyone else you ask is it's actually not that terrifying. And I'm, I'm very glad I did it. I'm very glad you had me. No, it's true. It's just a chat uh, amongst friends. So um, thanks again. And thank you from me. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, everyone. And remember, it's not all about the numbers. Mm-hmm.